This is Inspiring Nurseries podcast for nursery managers and owners and all those inspiring to be leaders in the early years sector. We are one of the only UK-based early years specialist podcasts bringing you trusted consultants, trainers and leaders in the so industry. So join me, Kate, co-founder of Hello Mums. And me, Marnie, founder of Sporty Minis. And make sure you subscribe because we know you're a busy professional and we also know that you will not want to miss this show. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and would love a review on iTunes. Hello and welcome to today's Inspiring Nurseries podcast. Today we will be talking about mental health. We are going to be talking about managing change and transition uh, from a mental health perspective. And we have two amazing guests who will probably have a little bit of a discussion over this topic. We have a, the wonderful Kate Moxley and our resident early year specialist, Alison Fadaby. Uh, also joining me today, my co-host Marnie Wills, and I am Kate Wilson. Good evening or good day, everyone, depending on when you're listening. And hello, ladies. Hi. Hi. Hello, hello. I hope, I hope all of you are very well. I think it is only right if I introduce Kate Moxley first. And as I was reading up about you before this podcast, you are basically the go-to person when it comes to mental health and well-being in the early years sector. But do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself, Kate, and also how you know Alison? And then we're going to talk about Alison as well a little bit. Thank you. And um, yeah, so my background is early years in education. I've worked in early years for oh, too many years to mention or count now. But uh, due to experiencing my own mental health issues whilst trying to lead and manage a very busy earlier setting, finish off um, my BA honours, be a wife, a mother and be an organiser and, you know, that people pleasing friend in my friendship group. I had a lot going on. And so I now talk about and advocate and raise awareness for mental health because it wasn't something that was ever really on my radar. I think like many of us, I thought I was invincible and I didn't really ever give my mental health a second thought. And so now I go around in the work that I do and um, discovering that so many of us are struggling. So many of us are navigating our way through challenging things. And for one reason or another, we just don't talk about it. And so I met Alison through the um, early years work I do. Um, Alison has contributed to early years wellbeing week that we organize um, every October in line with world mental health day. And she's also contributing to the mental health, awareness week that's organized by the mental health foundation that's coming up on the 18th of may and so it's just fabulous to get a different perspective from um you know a well-regarded early years professional really thank you okay that's a lovely introduction and a lovely compliment to our wonderful alison how about you alison it's your turn to return the favor oh i um <laughs> you know, when i first touch base with um with kate uh, i always find people to her her website because it's it, it, it's so uh inspirational and, and it really is the go-to place um for managers a lot of the work that i do is um helping and supporting managers but because 
my um, my experience isn't really in mental health. I really need to signpost really confidently. So I always signpost to Kate. Um, yeah, so, so it's, it's amazing to be here. Thank you very much. What a it's privilege a to have you both on our podcast. <laughs> you guys have been in the diary for a couple of weeks now, and um, I know Alison has been excited all day about it. Uh, <laughs> I think the discussion is going to be a good one. Yes, I'm fairly sure it is. But Alison, you haven't really said anything about what you really do, which, you know, we know it because you've been our resident, but there are some people who will be listening to this first, to this for the first time and they haven't heard your voice before. So what do we know about you, Alison? Okay, so my name is uh, Alison Featherbury and I started Orange Cat in uh, team and um i am uh, um i i help and support nurseries and preschools in, in all aspects of the eyfs so lots around the learning and development lots around assessment i've got a, a big background in assessment and, and sen and lots around the safeguarding and welfare i nspcc trains going through accreditation so so those three aspects of the eyfs i'm really confident in um and i help and support settings to deliver that excellent so you will have quite a good insight as to how we will be needing to to deal with our staff and obviously our children and our parents and most importantly ourselves as nursery managers um as i have mentioned before tonight's topic is managing change and transition from a mental health perspective. So both Marnie and I have prepared the question. Obviously, I am co-founder of Hello Mums and we are in recruitment. We provide temporary staff for nurseries. So my question is from a nursery staff uh, perspective and it is how will this unusual period of time affect nursery managers, their team and their relationship? And my question, as um, I am the founder of Sporty Minis, um, my question is about how will children transition into the new normal when settings reopen? Mm. Heavily dependent on the staff team, isn't it, Kate? Absolutely. And, yeah, and from my perspective, I know that staff have been uh, off for a period of time now. Um, and we've talked on our, on our um, Zooms on a Wednesday, we talked about their well-being and making sure we, we keep in touch with them. But, but what else could we do, Kate? Because I do worry that some people are going to come back and, and not be able to um, express um, the difficulty that they've been in. Um, and, and I worry about how managers are going to manage all of that with a workload of trying to manage children coming back and parents too. Absolutely. I think for me, this starts now. We, in the last, you know, few days, the speculation is absolutely mounting on what is going to happen with our educational setting, schools, nurseries. And we're waiting for this big announcement from Boris. And it seems as though for some people, they're expecting that from Monday, we're going to be almost immediately returning back to work. And so I think there's two different things here. It is not helpful to speculate and consider all the ifs and buts because what happens with that, when we are worrying about the future and trying to control what might be happening, 
it all it does is create worry and anxiety and even more uncertainty it fuels that those issues that we might be having because while some people may have been at work um, as a key worker we know I think the latest, latest results from CEDAR today are, um, you know, 37% of nurseries providing care for um, critical workers and, and working as key workers. So there's not many settings that are open and out there. So a lot of us are at home and very fortunate to be keeping our families and our health you know, safe and we're comfy here. So when our brains start telling us we might have to go to work and we're hearing drip feed through social media, the press, the media or WhatsApp from our teams, from managers, all this speculation, all it's doing is sending messages to our brain. Hold on. It's a scary world out there. All we know over the last few weeks was stay safe, stay home, protect the NHS. And that's almost ingrained in us now. And so to suddenly start thinking about going back to work and imagining putting on face masks to care for babies and some of the really worrying things that we're seeing being discussed out there, babies being dropped off in porches of childminders' houses because they, they don't want that contact. All of this, to all of us who are nurturing, caring practitioners, it, it, it feels wrong, mm. but we're not there yet. We're still in the most part, safe at home. So the biggest thing I think we can do is break it down in the, in the here and the right now. And lots of us will probably have said over, the, over recent days and weeks, oh, I'm just taking it one day at a time. But actually, we don't always do that one day at a time. That one day at a time means actually I'm worrying about what tomorrow is going to bring. Mm, so in the first, yeah, so I think the first instance is how can we connect as a team and support one another? Um, during this time, what things can we put in place to alleviate some of those worries and stresses? Um, I have been receiving um, lots of um, contributions from people for Mental Health Awareness Week that we've kind of touched on. And I received the most wonderful letter today from a nursery manager um, that she has written called To My Future Self. And she's written it from a nursery management perspective on her mental health and well-being, a reminder of the things that she's learned and the things that she's promised to do herself for herself. But when you read it through... Actually, it's really sad, the things that she's missed out on during this time. Her wedding's been cancelled. She's apart from her family. And how many of us have been affected? But, well, there's not, there's not one person that won't have been affected by this. So we are grieving all of those little big losses. And we've got to then go back to work and care for children. So we need to protect ourselves now, nurture ourselves, take care of ourselves now, so that when that time comes, then we can start thinking about what that transition might look like. Do, do you think, uh, because obviously this is a long period of time, is it going to be harder the longer it is? Um, because we, we uh, right at the beginning, we were connecting and we had social media pages and we were, we were all doing Joe Wicks, if, if you wanted to, <laughs> but we were, we were, and we were doing TikTok and stuff like that. But all of that has um, um, sort of waned a bit. And, 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 and we're sort of, I think you're right, we've absolutely settled into this, into this position now. And, and for me, the longer that it goes on, the more daunting coming back is from a mental health point of view would that be right yeah absolutely and I think that's the other thing is that not to believe everything that we think so whilst our brain is trying to keep us safe sometimes we think 
we think something and we believe it's a fact and all our thoughts aren't facts so if we're feeling unnecessarily can't say unnecessarily but if we can feel that we're overly worried and anxious about something then I think it's about this self-awareness now so there's um, lots of um, resources out there about wellness recovery action plans or wellness action plans and actually being able to put in place what those worries are and what it is that you are concerned about. Because for some members of staff, it might be that they've got a member of family that they're shielding. And mm-hmm. so they then have got to go back to work and care for someone potentially in the future while they've got a member of staff, maybe a member of family who's really quite poorly at home. So that is a real worry. So what can they do to protect themselves? What can they do to put themselves in the best possible frame of mind moving forward I think when it comes to their mental health so I think there's all sorts of different things that we can be doing to prepare ourselves and understanding around the power of our thoughts and beliefs the power that we place on our thoughts and beliefs so everyone's reality is going to be different my sister works in the NHS and so for her her life hasn't changed so much she's going out to work every single day leading a very busy team whereas My husband's worked at home for the last six weeks. So our window of the world is very different. For my sister, it hasn't changed so much. So we have to give ourselves um, a bit of of patience, a bit of empathy, a bit of understanding. And we'll all have seen that, that quote going around Facebook at the moment, same storm, different boat. And the biggest thing to navigate through that storm is having empathy for one another it's, we're all in a difficult position right now, but what can we do to support each other and ourselves to get through this? So given that uh, it's a long period of time, do you think people would have found out something out about themselves at this time? Um, because I don't know about you, but I've, I've found I've been quite surprised at how people have um, dealt with this. Um, some people have been really needy and really turning to social media and, 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 and that's their main source of um, uh, um, facts, if you like. But, yeah. and, and they're normally sensible people. I'm thinking, what are you doing? What are you telling me? You, you, you know, just calm down. It's okay. It'd be fine. I think someone called it a corona coaster today we've all been on this huge emotional corona coaster haven't we and so in the beginning my mindset went to okay what have I got to feel grateful for what is this going to teach me go you know reaching for my Oprah what do I know for sure book you know (laughs) what what am I going to learn from this experience you know and by doing that was that was helpful for me in in the short term but then I realized that I wasn't allowing myself to actually express feelings of sad sadness loss disappointment all things that were happening for me within my career within my personal life this year and so when I realized even myself that I wasn't allowing myself to do that I had a few days where I cried and I wallowed and I felt sorry for myself and I stayed in my pajamas and I ate what I wanted and you know all of those things to work through stuff and then I was a once I'd done that it was so cathartic I think I'd been trying to put a sticking plaster over it and just trying to get on and be positive and then once I'd done that I felt so much better for it and I think what 
what we're seeing at the moment is everybody is kind of responding and acting in in different ways and i think yes everyone's going to learn something from this experience but for me one of the biggest things that i hope and i'm seeing is um developing our emotional intelligence so if there's anything my daughter's learned from me this last few weeks it's um, i make mistakes i say actually when i'm sorry and when i'm wrong and i go back and try and talk it through i certainly haven't been a perfect parent in the last few weeks but she's seen that from me and she's learned things so she'll say we're not all at our best right now we're not feeling ourselves right now i mean she's she's 14 so yeah she's a little bit older but we're all the same we're all in this this position and I think what we need from our managers and leaders now is that ability to we all all managers and leaders are going to need to have developed a certain level of emotional intelligence I believe to be able to support not only themselves but their teams through this experience because mm -hmm. they are navigating personal losses personal experiences and also they, they're going to be guiding their teams through probably the most challenging um, you know experience of their career so being able to manage their own feelings and being able to manage those feelings of their team I think is going to be really healthy and important mm -hmm. because not everything is about us is it it's about other people but in early years because it's such an emotive role we can't help sometimes but cross those personal and professional lines because we give and give and give don't we? we we want to care it's in our nature so that mm -hmm. empathy that we have we sometimes, we don't know how to use that superpower if we're an empath. That skill actually isn't always fine-tuned because we give and give and give in so many different ways. And then mm. I find sometimes as leaders, I know I did for a time, I, I resented my team and I wasn't able to manage my, my emotions in connection to them sometimes. And I think being unwell myself and having to navigate my way through that certainly developed my emotional intelligence. And I think that's something I've discussed with Kerry Payne from EYFS for me, a fabulous consultant mm -hmm. who we have explored and navigated our way through some fantastic conversations and experiences. And she's very vocal on experiencing depression and anxiety. And we say that because we've experienced the issues that we have, it's made us better practitioners because of that. Oh, she's so inspiring to listen to, isn't she? Yeah. Oh my goodness, she really is. Um, yeah, I, and it does worry me about those managers as well because they, you know, they really have been on a huge roller coaster. You, uh, you know, all the business went, then then we didn't know what to do. Then you thought you're going to close for and, and sack with your staff team. How am I going to tell my staff team? And then we had some furlough money and that was okay. And then it wasn't. And and it, those poor m managers and owners, um, you know, sometimes I do external supervision and, and actually it's been absolutely heartbreaking because yeah. they have, um, they've really got this on their shoulders. They had it before all of this started and, and, and now it's like manifested. I think there's a couple of things there. So, that we've talked a lot in recent weeks and months about work-life balance. It's almost like a bit of a practical joke that we were starting to get a little bit better at, at work-life balance. And this has happened and it's blurred the lines even more so. So now, not only do we not know what day it is, but now we know we can work from home. We can be contactable at all hours of the day. We've set up 
um, you know, Facebook pages for children and families. And now we are just constantly accessible like never before. And, and so when the government dropped that announcement on, I think it was a Friday evening, about seven or eight o'clock, I mean, that was so ill thought out and unfair and completely unjust for our sector. For owners who were already, you know, in a desperate situation, it was, uh, you know, it's been a traumatic experience to, to, to try and navigate their way through. So absolutely, that was so tough. Mm. It, it's like grief isn't it it's like um, that that grief cycle and it and it it you know it does worry me that the comeback and or the restore and what that looks like for sure but but that's going to be a sort of a, a long period of time i think and and that so that will be a really long transition and it does worry me in the future when when that crash will come because i'm, I'm sure that it will um, and, and we need to you know, have something in place to make sure that that we, um, you know, care about each other and think about each other um, a, a lot more, even more so. And I think going back to what you, you pre previously said, some settings, no one's perfect. Some settings had issues within their workplace. Now, this experience will either eradicate some of those because they'll put them into perspective and people will think, oh, that was actually something so small in comparison to what I'm dealing with now, I'm able to move on from that. For other people, there might be some deep-seated resentment or deep-seated issues in how they were treated at work, coming from both ways, management and from a staff perspective. So what we're seeing now is some managers being hurt and feeling disrespected because they're trying to reach out and connect with staff and staff are just not interested. And so they're taking that then personally. And I think that's a really tricky thing to, to try and work through because managers are wanting to support their teams but we don't know what's going on at home behind closed doors we don't know what someone's trying to work their way through we've got no idea what someone's life is really like behind the zoom camera and so i think just trying to be able to if you've reached out and you've tried to engage and, and people are just not listening we can't take it personally we have to just think they're dealing with something and we just don't know you know what that that is right now and um, I talked about um, the pressure that we're putting on ourselves at the moment I've seen so many people all over Facebook putting so much unnecessary pressure um, on themselves and other people rewriting whole handbooks policies putting all these things in place some of it some people will cope by keeping busy. I went through an element of that myself. And if that's you and that's how you need to get through this, then that's what works for you. And you're probably very self-aware about that coping mechanism. But for other people, they're just not in that place. And so we can't help but compare ourselves. We're seeing someone doing all of these wonderful things. We think, oh, we should have a 783-page color-coded risk assessment document <laughs> on how to navigate pandemics. And it's like, what, you know, yes, we might need something in the future, but actually, are my team going to be able to come into work and be in a position to look after children in the coming weeks? And what have I got to do to put, take care of myself as a manager to support my team when that time comes? And I think with social media, it's been a lifeline. We've been able to connect with friends, family, check in with people. 
we've continually been able to, without sometimes often realizing it, pick up little nuggets of information to support you know, our mental health, but also our professional development in all sorts of ways. But in the other way, it turns us all into comparing Caroline's and comparing Collins, because before we realize it, we are looking at someone sharing their banana loaf or their workout video or their fairy, fairy garden and mud kitchen that they've redecorated. And we're thinking, oh, I haven't done that. And we oh, I didn't do that today. And, and I think, you know, it's about trying to show up and be real and know that that's okay because we really only ever try to show the best versions of ourselves to other people and put our masks on. And so I, I really tried to show, um, I suppose, what my life is like 90% of the time. I think sometimes as a consultant, people think it's very fancy, don't they, Alison? But a lot of my time is not fancy. Um, and so I think people, you know, I think people relate to us when we are down to earth, relatable, and we're just sharing, you know, it's okay to not be okay. It's not, it's okay to not have, you know, revamped your nursery or written your handbook. You know, what do you need to take care of yourself right now? I'm, re I'm really interested, Kate, um, in, in about the comeback. Um, do you think it's a good idea that teams spend some time together without children and, and without families just to sort of resettle themselves? Absolutely. I suppose it's going to depend on the type of setting, the number of children and families, whether you were already open throughout this experience. So there's so many different things to try to understand and work out perhaps what is best. Um, I know lots of teams have continued to connect through kind of Zoom and, and social media, etc. But I suppose one of the things that I advocate a lot is when we think about training and support within early years and the things that we do for our staff's professional development, it always goes back to the impact of the children. But a lot of the things that I talk about are how important it is to be able to develop your sense of team, your connectedness, your team togetherness, as I call it. And a lot of times I discover that so many practitioners um, experience low self-esteem, uh, lack of self-worth and um, a, a low confidence sometimes. So prior to all of this, I always advocated that perhaps it was time that some of the training and some of the things that we did together as a team weren't always going back to the children because staff needed that time to connect, to know each other. When you've worked in an earlier setting, you know that you know, sometimes it can be Wednesday before you've even had a chance to ask someone what they did last weekend. Sometimes we've had huge life events and we haven't been able to discuss them. We'll have a conversation with a colleague and it gets obviously interrupted. We're so busy doing our roles that we don't have time to connect and to talk. And I think it's so important to invest that time to develop as a team, to come together I put something out about, you know, recharge, replan, rebuild, rediscover. Who are you as a team? What's your vision and your philosophy for the children? Because sometimes that gets lost in this. And maybe you've got a short-term one. You know, ultimately you want staff and children to feel happy and healthy and safe and secure in these coming days and weeks. And how best are we going to be able to do that? Mm, mm, most most definitely where where can we um sign apart from your website 
are there organisations uh, uh, where we can signpost um, confidently locally? But you know, obviously there's doctors and things like that. So are, are things like Mind and people like that locally really helpful? So I suppose if you are experiencing, um, you know, some issues within your team or you're wanting to just put more information out there. I think one of the things that I talk about a lot are employee assistance programs. You'd be surprised how many nurseries or school settings have got employee assistance programs, but they're just not utilized because they're not talked about properly. And we want to be able to um, signpost staff to help and support those out there. Put me off my train of thought then. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's not. Um, so employee assistance programs if you've got one how do you share with staff how to access it it's it's okay you know just popping up a leaflet but you really want staff to engage in it if you're spending money on that then for staff to know that there's a a phone line there's maybe free counseling sessions and there's all sorts of things but they have to really they have to be empowered to be able to use it and it has to be I suppose role models so how you know what help is out there and I think I always talk about finding out what local and national charities and organizations are out there for people and putting together maybe some information on what staff can access really NHS have put um, a f- wonderful free resource together for you to, you know, explore your mood and how you're feeling and what things you can do to alter that. So and I always, always advocate the Samaritans. And I know we all know it's there, but maybe we would never, ever think of using it. But actually, they're trained professionals. 24-7, they are available. There's even now shout and you can just text. You don't even have to ring. But if you're supporting someone and you're worried and it's been a lot for you, then you can ring them and check that you, you know, how you're feeling and have you done the right thing? And, and the more we encourage people, the more we talk about it, the better we're going to take care of ourselves and each other. Yeah, I, I love that. That's, that's really, really good. What, what sort of things would you put in a, in a wellbeing policy? I know we've had a big focus on well-being. We had that amazing uh, document from Minds Matter from uh, the Early Years Alliance, mm-hmm. and uh, off the back of that, we had so uh, we, uh, we had well-being weaved into our Ofsted documentation um, with, with a requirement to, to make sure that that staff are okay. And, and I think that was really, really, really good and very responsive. Um, what sort of things could we put in a, in a well-being policy that we, that would make sure that everybody's adhering? adhering to it well first of all i would say since the introduction of well-being within the education inspection framework and the follow-up from minds matter and the some of the work that offset have done around myth busting and trying to reduce paperwork and burden and pressure we've seen a lot of people thinking well-being something we can just tick off and it isn't actually well-being it's everything you do every single day it's not a one-off gesture it's how you are are treated through induction, ongoing appraisal and performance management, how well you are spoken to, treated with respect and dignity. And actually, your well-being policy, I think it fits really nicely within, I've talked this week about staff code of conduct or team manifestos. So 
Why do I want to work in this setting? What is it going to offer me? Because I'm bringing my skills, my talents, my strengths here. Why would I want to work in this setting? How am I going to be rewarded? And also, what is my team like? How do we speak to each other? And so, I'm see, I've heard people saying that some teams are, um, some staff who are furloughed, and then some of the same team who are actually working have been maybe getting fed up and crossed with each other because some staff are at home being paid and some are at work. And that's really sad that that's actually happening. I want to be part of a team that cares about how I'm feeling and respects me and treats me well. And so a wellbeing policy will have a strategy from the management perspective, how you're going to lead me and how you are going to role model this um, you know, trust, respect, dignity, empathy, then also it's the staff responsibility too. It doesn't always fall on the leader or the manager or the owner. So how as a team am I going to work with my manager? Because we're both accountable. It's a reciprocal process. So that mm. wellbeing policy, you know, it's about how you develop it for your setting, how it works for you, rather than it just being something that people think, oh, it's the latest thing I need to do. But I've advocated people really, you know, coming together about their aims and vision, as I've already said, for what that means for the children in their care, because ultimately that sets out what you expect of me as a member of staff and what I expect of myself and what the quality is, what, why we come here and why I'm proud to work here. And that's not because, um, you know, it's the, the wrong place for me, if that makes sense. If I'm, if I'm not invested in what that vision is, then, then, you know, this isn't the place for me and it works both ways. Yeah, and, and, and it can be really difficult to shift a culture uh, like that, can't it? I mean, before all of this happened, there will be lots of settings in really different situations and, 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 and making some, some real headway with talking to their team and getting them, getting them together. And, and some owners and managers must be thinking, oh my goodness, all of this has gone out of the window because, because they really don't know what to expect, do they, uh, from their team and, and how they're going to react um, I know we can keep connected and we sort of have an idea of where they've been and we give people lots of opportunities to talk about um, the time that they, they, they've been off. Um, but but I think trying to get an, a new culture or a different culture, I don't, you know, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to step in and it all to be exactly the same as it was. I think it's going to be very different for some people. Yeah, and, and maybe without trying to put rose-tinted glasses on this experience, maybe it's time for a fresh start. Maybe it's, it's a good thing to be able to, because we've talked about personally what we'll have, we'll have learned through this, but professionally what will we have developed through this? We will have learned some different things and coming back as a team, we're going to have learned different things. So, you know, we've talked a lot about managers and leaders, but actually as a childminder, your community isn't necessarily a staff team. Your community is your parents and your families. So how are you coming back together? How well did you support each other through this? Because realistically, there's been some tricky, um, I imagine, and I, I've heard about some tricky relationships between families and childminders because we've never faced this before. And so I think... 
I was again going back. That I was talking with Kerry Payne, and we were saying, you know, it's a breath of fresh air to be able to say, "I got it wrong. I, d- I don't know the answer to that. I- I'm sorry if I said the wrong thing, or you know, I'm learning." And we were almost, we were laughing as well. She was saying, you know, she doesn't like going outside as an early years practitioner, and we were like, oh, "Imagine saying you don't want to go outside and you work with children," but. What profession out there do you know where you've got to like every single thing about that job role? Where in early years, we've got this pressure that because we work with children, we must be all like Mary Poppins and love every single aspect about it. But I think it's it's really healthy to say, actually, you know, I'm not really a fan of going in the garden all the time. My skill set lies somewhere else. That's a really healthy thing to be able to do. So what have we learned through this? What, what skills are we bringing to the table? So how can we support each other through this? Yeah, I totally agree. It's also really difficult, I think, as well, because we've had some we've had some press in early years. We've had some press about parents um, thinking that you know why 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 am I setting charging me? And we've had confusion around that. We've had headlines around that, and it's been on the news. Um, and we've also had some really positive. Um, uh, press as well around early years a lovely article today in nursery world about how much parents are missing um early years as well um and and that's that's like part of that roller coaster isn't it because that's how everybody views our professional role um and and that can be really quite demeaning can't it sometimes when when you know you work in that sector and everybody's talking about them on you know conversations on the radio it's in the press and 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 it's really unfair I think we really need a lot of good press at this time absolutely I lived from Juno Sullivan early years as the fourth emergency service yeah how how fabulous um to for people, I hope, to really understand and value what we do in early years. I mean, we know it, but it's about time everybody else kind of wakes up to that. I think for those settings that had issues with parents about fees, I think sometimes that might say a lot about the culture and the parent partnerships and their ethos and how they develop those connections with parents, where some, if they're in the position to be able to do so, realise that they could be supporting those settings if they needed to. But again, everybody's different. So I think, you know, to be able to expect everyone to be able to pay, you just don't know people's personal circumstances. So unfortunately, the press and media in this country, going back to what we're saying at the start, with the ifs and the buts and the speculation, sometimes the headlines are never in our favour in early years. And I suppose Mm. we just have to, um, you know, take ownership of we know we know what the truth is so how can we support one another to see past that i i also think that um just just quickly because i know we're going to wrap up um i also think that you know some owners it's been really tricky for them to to connect with parents because um they they haven't known them it's always been the manager or the deputy talking to them and and it's not been those owners so those owners are uh those parents are angry with the owners um uh, and you know and they want to know much more about the business and what and what's going on here uh, and, and that's another thing for those poor owners to go through isn't it 
Absolutely. And as we as we said, we've never experienced something like this. So no one is going to have got it 100% right. And just trying to do the best we can and the, um, to support parents. And I think it's trying to have that kind of, you know, understanding, isn't it really? Um, so many different letters of communication and things would have gone out to, to parents and, and they wouldn't have always been well received I imagine and you know sometimes we were just putting out fires weren't we doing the best that we could and so I suppose it's you know we've talked a lot about you know establishing those relationships with staff but in time it's going to be those those connections with with, with families as well isn't it mm. yes in general it's all the relationship isn't it it's a three-way thing it has to be the nursery manager the staff the parents and the children a four-way really Everybody has to work together. And obviously, as you have ladies mentioned, it is really the nursery manager and the team together. They have to be a team and they have to be very open and honest and accepting about whatever any of them are going through. And as you have said, we all have good days and we all have bad days. And it might be that we have more bad days these days because we started it all off on the good start, but it is now changing. And obviously... Uh, we are being influenced by many other things and it's very easy it's always easier to feel negative than positive mm. um yeah it's so true because our brain is functioned programmed to remember the the more negative things it's proven that that those negative things that happen to us in our life make more of an imprint um, on our brain. So if I was to ask you something wonderful that's happened within your last week, you know, not everyone can always think of something. Maybe it's particularly challenging at the moment, but that's because our brain likes to remember the negative. And so it's quite, sometimes it's quite hard when someone says, you know, well, just try to feel grateful every day. Well, actually, you know, the science doesn't work like that. Our brains are... Um, you know are, are programmed um, to, to, to function differently so we need to do all of these things to remind ourselves to focus on the positive but sometimes it, it's harder than we think it is absolutely but I hope that it was the highlight for everybody who is listening as much as it has been for us as well to have this podcast with you Kate and with you Alison we are thrilled to have had you for this discussion on mental health and and our well-being for the staff and for the nursery managers and we very much hope that you two will join us again for another podcast where we can talk about transition and children and the new normal but before yes. I let you go but before I let you go and I pass it over to Marnie could you please just tell us a little bit more because I'm sure that you are both preparing for the mental health week starting on the 18th of May. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what you're doing and where can people find more information about it on your website and other pages? Absolutely. So Mental Health Awareness Week organised by the Mental Health Foundation. The theme this year is kindness. It was sleep, but they changed it to kindness due to the current situation. And so because of that current situation, I know there are lots of parents and families trying to you know, navigate their way through these experiences and so we are putting together lots of resources free support activities and information 
for parents and for children, but then also for staff as well to support their mental health and well-being during this time. They'll all be free and be able to access them through the website, which is wellnessforall.org.uk. Um, and then you can also access currently, there are lots of free resources on my early years website, katemoxleyeyc.co.uk. We've got a blog section where all of the previous contributions from uh, early years wellbeing week and mental health awareness week are all there. But as, as we were saying, Alison's contributions, we have contributions from lots of other early years professionals. And there's lots of free resources on how to support yourself and your team through coronavirus during this time. And um, so, yeah, lots of different things out there to be able to support people. Thank you, Kate. And how about you, Alison? Um, I am working really hard with Marnie and I'm so excited to be doing that because for a long time, my mental health was really against me being online and doing some packages and Marnie kept going on and on and on and then this happened and so now is my time look she's got her head in her hand and 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 so she is going to take my mental health and make me feel so much better about welcoming a new skill <laughs> yeah it's going to be good it's going to be really good um Kate Moxley so many take-homes from our chat just now um, if it's okay, I might uh, write a few up and and um, and quote you on a few to put out to our listeners. Um, we're trying to get quite a few of our quotes um, and take home nuggets from our Zoom sessions we've been doing with Alison um, on our Instagram. Um, our Instagram following has gone up quite a lot, so thank you, Instagram, for following. Um, but Kate, if you don't mind, um, I might put some things together and get them out, if that's okay, because some take-home points were so good. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Um, I'd be more than happy for you to do that. I shall look forward to seeing what I said. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies. Well, thank you for a wonderful podcast, and I look forward to chatting to you further in the very near future. Take care and be well.